everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Boy, have we got a show for you. Hey, I just started laughing. Right when I started the show, I looked over at Maddie. And Maddie just ranked everybody on the team uh, from least rude to most rude. And apparently I'm in the lead. As the, For the most rudest. rude. As most the rude. most rude. Let's clarify. Which <laughs> surprises me. Why does that... How how on earth could that surprise you? Well, I've tried to be nicer lately. Oh. Was and that you trying to be nicer? When? Which? Where? Lately? You've been trying to be nicer? Um, yeah. Well, I've tried. I've tried. I, I've, actually, I've actually found that I think I'm addicted to being mean to you. I think that's true. Because today we're talking about addiction. <laughs> And so I'm going to ask the good uh, guest today if I actually am addicted. Yeah, let's get you some help. Well, don't go away. Because <laughs> um, yesterday, like, we, you weren't here and we played your piece. Was, it, was yesterday about your dad? Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. Thank you. Did you hear what we said? No. It was beautiful. I was at class. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to what you were good. saying about me. That's good. Great. <laughs> Thanks. I'm sorry. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. It That's good. fine. Thank no, you don't, don't go back and listen to it. That's what, yeah. It's podcast. You can find it at byuradio.org. It's archived. Was it really mean? No, it wasn't mean. It was I thought it was I thought it was beautiful. Good because it was very heartfelt. So Even you guys no, that mean, was beautiful. I no, you nailed it. And then <laughs> Aaron shed a tear. I did. Was I it was, a tear? Was, was that a tear? I had to run and go a couple get tissue tears. Paper. Well, that, that there's a tissue box here for that Mike's reason. Crying yeah. We had to bring one in here because of right yeah. now. Mike's, the results. Yeah. Mike's wiping a tear. No, Mike. you guys are so mean. I'm the only girl. I bring a unique perspective, and you should appreciate it's it. It's not <laughs> unique. <laughs> it, it's you. No, it's unique. No, it's just you know 50 percent of the population's perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's yeah, it's unique to the show. Oh, I guess. I gotta say, when it's all guys in here, it's. A different monster, yeah. maybe a little bit. Don't, Don't call her a monster. Well, she she, makes, she, she tames the monster. She can't hear what we're saying. See, this is why Aaron's the nicest. I'm trying. See, I got. And I do have to tell everyone, Sean is the second nicest. Okay. And he bought me horns. Look at that. He bought you horns, but then, but then Mike took him. Mike stole him. And then Mike gave him to a lovely me. friend. I think it was an engagement horn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that's – I mean that's the old tradition, right? I mean like a million years ago, that's what you give. <laughs> yeah, that's how they do it in Finland. No, you all are too addicted to being mean to me and I think okay. the, this is going to help you guys today. Thank I, you. Okay. I, I think what we're addicted to quite honestly is uh, – most of you are addicted to technology. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, you're still rocking the flip phone, Matt. What's up with that? That's not – yeah. Oh, wait. It's a smartphone. My it's bad. a smartphone. Oh, I couldn't But tell. I've disguised oh, it yeah. like a flip phone Yeah, you because I want it to flip. That's a nice one. But uh, So talk to me, Aaron, because <laughs> you're about to get married. I don't know what that has to do with addiction. Well, but here's what's funny. You, you, your wife has no idea what you're addicted to because you're not going to come in and just say, okay, here's, here's my problem. You're going to hide it. People with addictions hide the addiction. Right. So does she know what she's well, getting into? You know, funny you mention. I noticed that I'm really bad with this. Is when I am bored or I'm not constantly stimulated with talking or something, I'll pull my phone out. And yeah. I've done it before on, I'm embarrassed to say this, on dates with her because I've known her really well. We were already <laughs> dating, you know. That's like a first date, second date taboo. Don't pull your phone out. But when you're like comfortable with someone, 
you'll pull your phone out when it's like a slow moment, and that's with yeah. at your job or anything. Did you notice I pulled mine out right yeah, when you right, started you're, talking? Well, I'm talking to you. You're like texting. It's like you had man, ready Matt, to go. you're addicted yeah. to. Well, part of, I wasn't. I was. I'm just trying to change the world. Okay. I'm trying to save the world. All right. That was just a world-saving moment. One text message at a time. At a time. <laughs> it's going to be the longest saving <laughs> process. So talk more about – I mean, we do. We pull it out, and then my wife gets ticked when I pull yeah. my phone out. Well, I've been trying – we talked – I actually thought about this, too. I was like, you know, on the honeymoon, I'm going to just leave the phone at home, and that's going to be a I task. Would. That's a great idea. I'm going to try it because – great idea. You're more a brave man. More in, I know. And this actually leads into this per- – there's some stats I want to read there. This is great. You I need think to listen are to this, man. really yeah. accurate. Uh, 25% of smartphone owners ages 18 to 44 say they can't recall the last time their smartphones weren't next to them. So, Wow. And I thought about – we talked about that with Mike. When, yeah. he, when we leave the house – I've left my phone at home before, and I have to immediately go back. I feel like I'm – Make, I, I feel like I'm something. It's like you, lot, you forgot I'm your disconnected, pants. yeah. Like my keys. <laughs> my I keys, gotta go my phone, my, my wallet. Those three things. Keys, phone, wallet, you know. Can I just give you some advice? What? As an old timer. Uh, I keep my keys, my phone, my wallet all in my pants because I always wear my <laughs> pants. Okay. Not so your, not your pajamas, Don't but worry. your pants. Okay. And if you keep it all in your pants, then all of a sudden what happens is then nothing is lost. Okay. Context is Quote important. of the day by Matt. All I right. always put it in my shoes. When there's something I need to remember, I put it in my shoes. You Because then if I step phone? in there. No, but that's good. No, that would get smelly. Oh. Because that's good, though. That's, see, that's smart. But, but that way I don't forget them because then I know, oh, there's my phone or there are my oh. keys. How, how do you remember your pants? I put those in my shoes, too. Wow. That is see, impressive. But, but the key is to all of this, people are messed up. They don't even – they cannot not live with their smartphone. Well, on top – Okay. That's I know an addiction. These are stats, but they're hilarious. 63% of smartphone owners keep their phones with them for all but an hour of each waking day. Are you, you serious? Like with them? Like or in, within reach in oh, the same man. room, yeah. in their pants, really? like you said. Yeah. Um, I think that's crazy. But I, at the same time, I, I kind of have to agree with it because I can't take my phone everywhere. I feel weird without it. Do so. you, you know the weird? I feel weird. It's the restroom thing that's weird. The restroom thing when you're just going to the restroom and somebody starts talking on the phone and they're like, hey. Oh, like the, and you the big conversation. And you're like, hey. Hey, yeah. how are you? How are you? That's Great, weird. Thanks. See, that's weird. See, that, that's why we need – if we're going to be addicted, we need etiquette. Right. Let's have rules. Addicticate? Addicticate. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right. Hey, will you go he, go trademark that? Yeah. Attorney with his legal – he can do that with his legal stuff. He's actually not an attorney. Stamp. Nothing that Juan says on the show could ever be construed oh, so, as legal advice. So we can steal that idea because he can't do it yet. Well, well, I could get it trademarked. I just have to talk to an attorney. Oh, yeah, I'm going to so, do it. Call before. your attorney. I'm do it hey, for you. And since attorney, this is all on record, I'm the one who came up with it, so oh, I win. Dang it! But I think I get a piece because it was part of my idea. You were we were brainstorming. Mm-hmm, but it's a novel. You know, it's, okay. It's, turn it's his new. mic off. Let's keep moving. <laughs> the engineer, turn his mic oh, off. Oh wait! Oh wait! He controls That's everything. Me. That is you. Turn your mic <laughs> off. Anyway, keep going. What else? Okay, well, what this, else? Okay, you've heard of. Okay, my, do you use Pinterest? Do you use Instagram, Matt? Yes, you use I use Instacare. Facebook, Instacare, Google Plus, Twitter, Google I, Plus. I use LinkedIn. Twitter. I use okay. Google Plus. All these things are LinkedIn. booming with users. Uh, one thing I find interesting: Twitter, five thousand seven hundred tweets a second on Twitter. Holy cow! Two point five billion pieces of content shared on Facebook every day. Yeah. You know, by the way, one billion of those from Matt from Townsend. Townsend's 40,000 likes. I, know, I, he- I hesitate to call that content. Oh, a no. lot of the stuff oh. that's on Facebook. Oh, no. Uh-oh. I, no. I, Uh-oh. I, yeah. Oh, snap. Maybe this is just my personal bias, but that's another issue. <laughs> if you have. have a comment for Juan Mikadis, just give him a call at 1801. This is personal line. What's your number? 
Chat, mm. chat BYU. Chat. Yeah, chat BYU. Chat Juan. Like that, yeah. Quick, give Mike's number out. Oh, wait. Okay, keep going. All right, so Google Plus yeah. is kind of a behind Facebook. They have 400 million users. Mm. These are just all... That's still a okay. ton. There's a that's ton. A, that's Pretty a much lot. all of them are in the millions. Facebook's a billion. Mm. Now, something I want to bring up, though, is the whole rise of the hashtagging. Oh, have you ever heard yeah. of that before? Oh, you I'm like great that at form, it. I don't Hashtag, for sure. Hashtag... Yeah, everything is awesome. Hashtag rise of the hashtag. Ha- exactly. Hashtag. I want a segment. Hand like me that. some horns to get engaged to a lady. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time that's ever been said. I know. You just trademarked something else I on just, the show today. Ha- I just, I just, I'm a pioneer. I'm so, a hashtagger. I, I feel like it's just social media has made us so lazy in some ways, and so it, we do become addicted because it's so easy. But we're going to ask the pros. Hashtagging today. is another reason. But is it an addiction? So is it a brain chemistry thing, and our brain saying? Need more, need well, more. Is it that what's going on, or is it just we've incorporated it into our lives so much that it's like a belt buckle? Yeah, that's a really interesting idea because a lot of these it's different core. different types of technology addictions, they're not yet included in the Diagnostic Statistical right. Manual exactly. Five, the, the the newest version. I, I don't. We'll have to ask our expert, but I don't think a pornography addiction is in the DSM manual. Yeah, I don't think so either. We'll ask the pro. But but gambling addiction is, and online gambling addiction is in there, and there's there's social media it, online um, gambling addiction is is in the DS. Is it really? I think so. Huh. We'll have to ask our expert. Because there's a brain chemical side to this, which is what's creating a lot of the addictions, right? And then there's just a utility. You know, it's like a remote control. Are you addicted? No, like like almost a necessity? Like we've like, yeah, gone so okay. long using it, we can't get rid of it? it yeah. It's compulsive now. There's people I know who will post something on Facebook or Instagram if they don't have like what, 30 or 40 likes in an hour or two or by the end of the day or something. They'll delete their picture because they're not validated enough. Is, from, that, is that Mike? Because you were looking at Mike when you were saying <laughs> that. Yeah, you were looking it's at Mike. I was, what are you trying to say, Mike? Aaron? No, yeah, it's there's Mike. this guy in my PR class who openly admitted on Instagram if he doesn't have 100 likes on average every day on some of his photos, he'll, he'll plan them out. He'll plan his Instagram posts like, I'm going to post this in two days. Let me make sure it looks really good. Really? He'll post it. If it doesn't have so many likes, delete. Oh, man. I would never do it. Crazy. I wouldn't do it, it for anything so under 1,500. Some people do that. They, they, they feel <laughs> validated <laughs> if they <laughs> don't. <laughs> If they have likes, they feel yeah. validated. If not, they feel like bumps. So they're planning Why? out their addictions now. It's not just yeah. a moment, mm-hmm. a momentary, oh, yeah. sudden it's thing. Just, well, you can't just uh, yeah, you can't throw it out there. But see, imagine it's, it's this is just the beginning. We have no clue what this is going to do. Oh, to our people. kids are going to be. I have, using eight, iPads, I have a nine-year-old so. and a ten-year-old that are all over this. Yeah. I have a ten-year-old that gets more email and text messages than I do. Spam. No, he's just <laughs> he's fan just, mail. What's going on? He probably signed up on some of those free social games no, on the just, iPhone. He's just oh. really well liked. Oh wow, it's yeah, scary. Well, yeah, you start out social networking younger age, it's just going to get bigger exponentially. Yeah. It's nuts. So, so what's our? What have we finally decided? Um, hashtags are hashtag lame and hashtag ruin English, but they're hashtag fun. Hashtag concur. Yeah, pound sign Anything awesome. Else? Hashtag. That's true. It's the pound sign. Formerly known as the pound sign, right? Well, yeah, that's interesting. They appropriated the pound sign and they call it something else. Yeah. And then now, you know, the only time you ever use pound is on the phone. Yeah. And even then, nobody talks anymore. That's the other thing. It's all texting. That is a great point. Nobody talks on phone. Talking is. So the pound sign's gone and done for pretty much. Well, that's actually sad. Yeah. It's just so easy to text and not have to deal with people that we are like, great, you know, but that. 
There's actually, mm. I don't know, Mike, if you had, you can cut in when you want, but there's a video. We aren't going to sh- listen to it, but it's called Look Up mm. on YouTube. And it talks specifically about, it's so good. If anyone's listening and hasn't seen it, check out Look Up on YouTube about technology. It's It just talks about how... Look up and enjoy people around you. Leave your home, your phone at home one one of these days. Let, I mean, let's do it though. Let, let's have it. Let's let's do this. Uh, not not today. Because I'm. <laughs> I got a text. You got to text your wife. And <laughs> yeah, and I've got to I've got to wean off of some other things first. <laughs> um, but uh, soon, let's do. In fact, uh, Juan put that. No, well, actually, Sean put that on the list of what we're going to do of of one of our goals next week. We're all going to take a sabbatical. Sean, a Sean's like, goal? I don't think this is going to work. Well, the problem is he's typing it into his phone. I know. Yeah. He's Type not writing it on paper. He's so planning his next really, movie. Really, I want to have a 24-hour te- technology-free. Fast. Fast. Oh, that would gosh. be crazy. This would be great. Everything except radio equipment? or Yeah. Yeah. No, we can use radio equipment. None of us are addicted to that. <laughs> Hardly. I might be. No, you're not. I tell. <laughs> Actually, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I saw you like take some of the knobs home. <laughs> I bring him back. Sleep bring him he back. sleeps over at it's night kind of and just remixes stuff. Hey, today yeah. we're talking addiction, technology addiction, just just addictions actually in general. And we've got an expert coming to talk to us. Gordon Bruin is going to be here, American board certified licensed professional counselor, addiction expert. He's going to walk us through addiction. So think about it. Do you have you know people in your life questions for a board certified expert? In addiction counseling, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'll have the expert answering questions. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about addictions. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because we, we use the word, it seems like, more today than ever before. And I'm not sure everybody knows really what an addiction is. I think we think anything, like, otherwise, uh, I'm addicted to Doritos. And I'm not sure if that's actually true. But I know I can't, one's not enough. <laughs> and then I also know um, ice cream. Uh, we have a family gene that makes us very uh, susceptible to lactose addictions. Interesting. Thank you. What's looking at me like? You're nuts. I'm not nuts. I was going to say hashtag muffin top, but um, hashtag double muffin top. By go. the way, also alert. I mean, also addicted to muffins. Well, there you go. Triple. So. But we're going to have Gordon teach us if that's actually an addiction, because I have a feeling it's not necessarily an addiction. It's probably something we really, really, really like. Um, Gordon S. Bruin is joining us. He has a master's degree. He also is a an American board certified licensed professional counselor who specializes in education and treatment of addiction issues. Gordon is a program services manager for Utah County Division of Substance Abuse and has done that for the last 10 years. He's also the founder of Inner Gold Counseling Services. Inner Gold, by the is a great website, um, very much, I guess, Gordon, dedicated to people battling um, pornography addiction. Right. Is that right? So you do work in the Utah County Division of Substance Abuse, done that a lot. You also, on the side, uh, have your own counseling program at Inner Gold. That's correct. So you are knee-deep in addiction issues, not yes. personally, but right. professionally. Right. 
And it's a, I mean, do you sense, we're using the term a lot more, right? I mean, it seems like now you can have, or maybe we're not, maybe we're actually showing these are addictions, but we have sexual addictions, we have pornography addiction, we have gambling addiction, technology addiction. So maybe to kick it off, along with every drug, alcohol, everything like that, um, what is, talk about addictions. Okay, great. So well, what is an addiction? So the definition of an addiction, it, it basically has to do with, well, a newsletter from Harvard explains it the best. It said, the word addiction is derived from a Latin term for enslaved by or bound to. Huh. Anyone who has struggled to overcome an addiction or has tried to help someone else truly understands this. Um, addiction exerts a long and powerful influence on the brain and manifests in three distinct ways. Number one is craving for the object. Okay. Okay. Then loss of control over its use. And then um, there's adverse consequences. So basically how an addiction develops in the first place and, and how we would qualify something as an addiction is someone experiences something. And it's associated with pleasure. And that hits a certain part of the brain Hmm. in the limbic system, which is extremely powerful. And we now know that all pleasure is experienced in the same way in the brain, whether it's pornography, drugs, alcohol, some of the things that you're talking about. So if we want to go, well, is Doritos really an addiction? My question to you would be, well, what are the negative consequences associated with it? Is it really life destructive? No, well, your hands smell. Yeah, you know, maybe your wife won't want yeah. to be with you. There's always kids salt or all over but, me. But so, so, but the, but the cravings there. Then the, what was the second one? A loss of what? Loss of control. Yeah. So you can no longer control it. And then the third one is it starts to have kind of negative repercussions. Right. And then there's also something called tolerance increasing. Tolerance simply means that whatever the substance is, hmm. you have a tendency to need more and more of it okay. to get the same pleasure. And then the negative consequences start to come into play. Yeah. Then you make a commitment to stop that behavior, and then what happens? And you can't. And then you keep doing it over and over again. By the time someone comes to see me, they have made that commitment hundreds if not thousands of times, Hmm. drawing the line in the sand saying, I swear I will never do this again. I'm so disturbed by the consequences of either what I've seen or what I've done that I'll do anything in order to change. And that's where we, we start to introduce what's called the language of recovery and understanding, helping people understand really what's going on in the brain. And the language we, of recovery is a book you've also written. Right. So if anybody wants a copy of the book, they just go to innergold.com. That's correct. Because the language what, – what I love about this, though, it's, it's something I've never thought about. But one of the signs you're addicted is if you've made commitments re- consistently and you can't – Keep the commitment to stop doing that. And so – because I always thought, yeah, okay. So if it's getting negative, that's bad. And if you see an escalation of the need because the chemistry is changing and you're starting to get used to it. um, But then also I never thought that once I can't do what I say I'm going to do on it. Right. And and the best way to explain what's happening is by uh, talking about what we call the two-part brain. We literally have two parts of our brain that work in concert with each other. One is called the limbic system, Hmm. and it has three prime directives. Survival is the first, 
And it does that by avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. Yes. And there's no morals or values associated with that part of the brain. And it's largely subconscious slash unconscious. So if you were to, uh, a good metaphor to describe the two-part brain, and, and the other part of the brain that I want to talk about is the prefrontal cortex. Yeah, that's, that's the part the... that's moral, rational, logical. That's the part that is very disturbed yeah. at the behavior. I made a commitment to stop. And then I did it again. But the limbic system doesn't care anything about that, you see, because it's, it's amoral. It doesn't right. have morals and values. That's survival. That's the fight or flight. That's the amygdala part of the brain. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Holy cow. So um, limbic brain and then the other is just the, the, prefrontal, the prefrontal cortex, right. which is the real thinker, the higher – I call your it the conscience. higher brain. Yeah. Exactly. Your conscience. So I love speak. that. Yeah. And so those two brains are engaged. One of them, one of them is creating, I guess, the chemistry. Right. And the other one has to kind of – create the logic has to guide right. it out of this exactly and so the the metaphor that that i use with clients is a metaphor of an iceberg so i have a picture of an iceberg yeah. on my whiteboard in my office and so 85 to 90 percent of an iceberg is what underwater exactly yeah but 100 percent cold that's right absolutely and that 85% can be likened unto the limbic system. Oh, Many neuroscientists now believe that 85 to 90% of our behavior is instinctively driven yeah. from the limbic regions of the brain. So it doesn't have like a thought attached to it like, I want ice cream. There's a, there's a feed, there's something else feeding before even thinking. Right. It, it's like the limbic system's like, like the brain that's functioning in a lion or a tiger. When a lion or a tiger gets hungry, what does it do? It eats. It eats. It hunts. It kills in order yeah. to survive. Okay? Yeah. And we have that part in us. And we're very, very susceptible be to all the environmental cues out in the world because if you look at the limbic system, another place in there is something called the thalamus, mm. which is the important gathering place for sensory information. So when we see things with our eyes, it immediately goes to the limbic system. And it starts triggering things and chemicals oh, really? off and, so, and that you're not even aware of what's going on. And yeah. so often when I have a client who's newly in recovery and they'll come in and, and we use, I just have them check in how you're doing physically, emotionally, spiritually and what's going on with the addiction this past week. And if they say, oh, I've had a slip this past week, I will say, OK, let's go back to the slip. Tell me what was going on an hour before the slip or 15 minutes oh, yeah. before the slip. Because that was the iceberg, right? That's so right. the iceberg's already germinating or right. creating Something's the need. happening. Uh -huh. And most of the time they will say, I have no clue. Yeah. I have no clue. And so I said, okay, but something was happening. Mm -hmm. Something triggered this event. So let's rewind the tape yeah. and go back and identify that. You know what, Gordon? I've actually seen this happen. Um, we have a guest that a lot of times will bring in treats, food, and uh, we're not supposed to eat in the studio. And of course, so we don't because we're obedient. Right. Ish. And um, anyway, when she brings the food in, I'll see the guys here start salivating. You can tell because they like frothing at the mouth. Right. So that's the limbic brain kicking in. Mm -hmm. Even before they're thinking, I want to eat that, they're right. start, they saw the box. They heard us talk about it. You know, Juan starts getting his napkin on his neck. And uh, <laughs> it's crazy. But that brain operates without our conscious intention, right? Exactly. It's biochemical. Right. And it's going, it's going to be what it, it's going to – it's going to constantly – you called it pleasure and pain, right? Right. 
So once that's kicking in, then if we can't get conscious about it, prefrontal brain, the other brain, so that's what you try to do is get them start thinking about what was happening before right. you got triggered. That's you trying to get a. I guess that's us trying to get a feel. Exactly, and for that, what was going and, and on in that the is is what you're talking about as a language of recovery, hmm. and what what treatment and recovery are all about. Oh, that's huge! This, see, this is the learning we need to know because everyone out there driving is probably addicted to something. I'm apparently dr- addicted, supposedly to carbonated beverages, but I'm finding out it's more the caffeine <laughs> in the beverage. That's what I'm finding out. But again, I'm not a pro, right. but I do have a doctorate. I'm a highly trained professional. Um, we're going to take a break. We are, we're having a great conversation here with Gordon Bruin. Go to his website, innergold.com, innergold.com. Again, you can get a copy of his book at Innergold um, called The Language of Recovery, Understanding and Treating Addiction, um, which is going to kind of go over everything we're talking about here. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're going to get in deep and uh, figure out how we can actually treat addiction, maybe even some of the smaller, you know, the ones that are just starting to get into our lives. If you have a question or a comment or anything, a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to get your question on the air, and we'll send you out a book and uh, kind of incentivize you to give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Taking a break, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking with Gordon Bruin, and uh, Gordon is uh, he's a he's a counselor. He's an expert when it comes to addiction and recovery. He uh, is also um, runs a website, innergold.com, which is a wonderful online program that can help you to kind of cut through some of your addictive uh, issues. The one on Innergold that's so strong that they focus on is pornography addiction, and um, Again, you can go to that website, innergold.com, and find the book Language of Recovery, a wonderful tool to help you kind of encapsulate everything that uh, he's teaching us today. So, Gordon, you were teaching us before. We we have these tendencies. They tend to be chemical. So, really, all addictions are involving the limbic brain and chemistry. And I think even off-air, you said they pretty much all have something to do with dopamine. Right. That yummy, yummy, good-feeling chemical in our exactly. brain. Dop- okay. Dopamine is a chemical that says, i got to have more of it. Okay, and, and research has clearly shown that the brain registers all pleasures in the same way. It doesn't matter what it is, satisfying meals, sexual encounter, drugs and alcohol, and so forth. But, but to explain the language of recovery... Let me back up just a little bit to help individuals and your listeners recognize what I call the addictive voice. Okay. Okay? So I'm just going to ask everyone listening right now to think of something that is extremely pleasurable, their favorite thing, whatever that might be. Could be a food, um, an addictive behavior. Just think of what is really, really pleasurable. Don't look at me when you do it, Juan. Do what? When you think of that I was playing a guitar. No, but you were looking at me. That's creepy. Okay, and I'm going to make a statement to you, and I want you to pay attention to what thoughts come into your mind and okay. how you feel. Okay? You yeah. ready? Yeah. Never, ever at any time in the future can you do that or have that again. 
What do you hear or what do you feel? Hmm. I hear red rum. <laughs> red rum. That's murder backwards. Okay. That's what I hear. What do you hear, Juan? Uh, I hear guitar music. Because I was thinking of playing a guitar. That's one of my most enjoyable so activities. So if somebody – if you're told you're and never going to have it again, you're like – I'm instantly – You're still back. In my it. head, I want to go right back to it. See, right. but that means exactly. the your language is guitar music. Yeah. Right. See, so what you guys just did is very, very critical. That feeling or voice came from the limbic regions of the brain because that's where all pleasure is registered. Yeah. Okay? Now, imagine something that – increases dopamine, the dopamine reward in your brain about 10 times that amount. Huh. For example, a pornography addiction, um, a chemical addiction. Then we go around and we tell people, you need to stop doing that. And what happens is that the limbic part of the brain, because it's amoral, it has interpreted the addictive behavior through the years of use as simply a survival yeah. need. It's you not. See? It's not about like. It's not a. It's a more. It's not a moral issue. No. It's not about getting you closer to God. It's no. this is survival, and that is so critical to understand. Because in the 30s, in the 1930s, we used to think of a society. Well, if people are addicted, they're bad people. That's Their right. will is small. We need to incarcerate them. We need to punish them, and so that they, we can beat this out of them. We now know that doesn't work. Right. Seven out of ten people who go to prison will reoffend and go back. Yeah. So the punishment thing doesn't work. What a great lesson, though, because even in any society or any situation, you, that's why judging them morally for their right. addiction, right? You're you're judging it, them for their well, chemistry. Well, you add fuel to the fire, yeah. is what happens. And so, so what happens? So how an addiction develops? You experience something pleasurable when you're young, mm -hmm. and usually with pornography, it's in the same with drugs and alcohol. It's in the early teenage years, and now with pornography, it's between eight and ten. Hmm. So imagine, That's you know, in the limbic part of the brain is the first part of the brain to develop, and the higher functioning brain, the neocortex prefrontal, doesn't fully develop into our mid twenties. And so, people who come across these materials or these things early in life, they have no capacity to deal right. with them. So there's a memory in the limbic part of the brain that creates pleasure. The hippocampus is mainly involved in memory. That's in the limbic system. Okay. okay? And, um, and then, and here's also the hope of recovery. Even though the limbic system drives behavior and is very powerful, it cannot do anything in and of itself. It needs to get the higher functioning brain's right. permission to do things because that's that's, the that's where, our, where our arms, our legs, our hands, and our feet yeah. work is up in the neocortex, prefrontal part of our brain. Okay. Wow. But then you start to develop what's called neural networks, just like a highway system in the brain. Begin, it, it's, it's wired to respond a certain way. And it so, makes it more efficient. Once you've kind of created that exactly. network, it's going to take the fast right. network. Now, so you have something that you know creates a lot of pleasure. Then we go out into the world, and one of the acronyms we use in treatment, one of many we could use, is BLAST. Mm -hmm. BLAST stands for being bored, lonely, angry, stressed, or tired. Mm. And I will ask individuals when they come in, well, how often are you in one of those states? And the response, you know, they just kind of smile. Well, when am I not in yeah. one of those states? That just sounds like a team meeting at, right. on our team. Right. But here's the deal. Now with modern technology, we can take pictures of people's brains when they're thinking. It's called a functional MRI. And, yeah. and this is what happens. When people get stressed enough, 
and it creates second member, second prime directive of the limbic system, avoid pain. That's any type of pain, physical or emotional. The limbic system goes into survival mode, searches for something that will take the pain yeah. away, and it goes to a memory. This is all happening at the unconscious level so of just, the brain. Yeah, you're just eating Doritos right. watching television. And then all of a sudden you have a craving. Yeah. Boom. And it hits you. It's this insatiable drive. I got to go do this thing. And then – and then Wow. And so it's always like the train leaving the station and, and you want to catch up to it. That's why we need to teach individuals that struggle with addictions a new language in mm. order to deal with it. And I've seen this be extremely effective. Yeah. Not yelling, mm. screaming at them. They're not bad people. Right. No one – Starts doing a yeah, behavior who, that's I'm going to be addicted to yeah, this. Who one wants day. that? And then all the repercussions. Right. Yeah. They're just trying to get out of a bad feeling state, and that's the great illusion of how this stuff mm. can grab one and take a hold of one. What's the What's some of the language that we okay. start to teach them? There's, there's five mm. keys. Okay. It's really quite love it. Quite simple, but. When I tell you these five keys, it's probably going to you – know, well, I, I've heard this stuff before. But there is a depth and a breadth to these five keys that can only be discovered through time. Yeah. And those individuals I've been working with for a number of years, they are living and breathing this. The first key is called acknowledgement or acceptance. First of all, we need to acknowledge the reality of how our brain works, that there really are two distinct parts that work in concert with each other. A lot of times by the, well, when, by the time individuals come in to, to see a professional like myself that is explaining this, when they hear the two-part brain model, they for the first time go, oh, my word. Mm -hmm. This makes so much sense. Sure. Why haven't I ever heard this before? Because they've tried harder and harder and harder to do better in their lives to stop this addiction. And that only makes it more powerful. Well, harder and harder is the high brain, right? Or right. The, the That's where it's coming cortex, from. Right. And, and what happens is the limbic system is going, yeah. what are you trying to do? Kill me? Yeah. Because I'm just – remember, it's amoral. That's right. It does, it's it's just survival. Showing, I'm trying to survive. And so we're doing it the wrong way. That's huge. And so we acknowledge this is the way that the brain works, acknowledgement or acceptance. The second key is called surrender. Very, very challenging concept to teach in recovery work. When people hear the concept surrender, they go, I'm not surrendering to anything. Yeah. I'm going to crush, kill, and destroy this thing and get it out of my life. Yeah. And I'll simply res respond to them, how, how many times has that worked for you? Yeah, how many times life? have you tried that? Exactly. Well, surrender and, is AA 101, right? Alcoholics Anonymous, right. Is, their first and, two lines are about right. surrender. But it's, it's, it's understanding that when – a trigger or a feeling comes to an individual of continued use. That's the definition of the addictive voice, any thought or feeling of continued use. We simply need to acknowledge it, make room for it. Hmm. Don't fight it. The more you go, bad thought, bad, get out of here. I'm going to force that thought out of my mind. What happens to it? It gets bigger. It's, exactly. It, it, it gets more self-protective. Exactly. You've empowered it. Exactly. And people – see, we don't think we're we, – we always say you're fighting the giant within you. But you – no. Then, OK, sure. But you sneak up on the giant. Right. You don't that's, fight the giant. You're not going to beat the call, giant. That's what we call – we use the term becoming a peaceful warrior. Oh, wow. It's a very, very interesting term. So it, indeed it's being a warrior. Indeed it's using your will. But it's using it in an educated fashion – Based on these five keys, yeah. the surrender is I'm not going to fight that thought the way I have because – now, a lot of individuals 
tend to feel guilty because they have triggers or thoughts. That's silly. We don't create them. They come from the limbic system or they come from the environment around us because the way our brain works is we think relationally. So if I were to ask you to think of a red apple – Oh. You you would you would think of an apple, and then you'd think of a tree, and then you'd maybe think of yeah. Snow White, yeah. and all of a sudden, before you know it, three or four limbs down, the, you're yeah. thinking of the ocean or something. Right. It has nothing to do with it. All all of our environmental cues can lead back That's to powerful. addictive triggers, and so that brings us to the third key, which is awareness training. Could do this. I, we're <clears throat> going to take a break because I want to I want to be able to capture all of it. So. Acknowledgement, first uh, key. Surrender, second. Acknowledgement. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how to acknowledge. No, what was the third one? Uh, awareness. Awareness. Right. Awareness. We're going to have um, Gordon talk about how we can uh, increase our awareness. Right. And then let's let's take it through some examples. Okay. Um, we're talking with Gordon Bruin. If you go to his website, it's innergold.com. He is a professional uh uh, counselor, basically, uh, is a program services manager for Utah County Division of Substance Abuse. He's walking us through it. He's also got a great book, Language of Recovery, that you can find at innergold.com. We'll be right back. If you have a question for Gordon about addiction, about you know anything that you might be going through, your, your family might be going through, give us a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. Or tweet us at BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're being joined by Gordon Bruin. Gordon Bruin has a master's degree in... um, Counseling, I guess, right? Is Clinical that psychology Clinic- with a specialization in addiction studies. Holy cow, look at you. From the John F. Kennedy University of Clinical Psychology, and a specialization in addiction studies, and um, you've written the book, The Language of Recovery. Again, go look at his website, innergold.com. That is specifically focused on pornography addiction. It gives you some tools as well as actually an online program that they can do while you're while you're online, and also um, the book is online there as well, and and that'll give us some tools. Now, we're talking about the five, what are you calling these? Five keys to the language of recovery. The five keys. The first one is acknowledge you're having an addictive moment. Right. Acknowledge the treasure. Acknowledge that it's there. Okay. Uh, Two, then surrender. Right. Let it be. Just let it be. Don't try to fix it. Don't be mad at yourself about it. Give room for it. Yeah. Give room for it. Something that's based on... Acceptance and commitment theory or therapy. It's it's what's called the third wave in cognitive behavioral therapy. Is is just letting thoughts be what they are. Yeah. Thoughts are just thoughts. They they're, don't have they're any, neutral. They don't have any power in yeah. and of themselves. And it's what we do with the thoughts mm-hmm. that create the issue. And the minute you're already reacting to the thought of your addiction, right? Then you're. By the way, for or against, you've already poked. The giant. Exactly. So now you're waking up the giant that's going to start fighting. Because you've given it attention. It's like the law of of quantum physics. Whatever we attend to expands. Yes. So that's why we do a lot of of work with attention and saying that life is a matter of attention, which leads us to the third key in the language of recovery, which is awareness training. 
So we do a lot of work on helping individuals become more grounded in the present moment right now. Mm-hmm. It's um, And so on my whiteboard, if, if you were in my office, I'd, I'd draw a circle and this is where we are right now. We're moving through time. Even, even the statement, the present moment is not really accurate because there is no such thing, right? right? And then I draw a line out into the right, which means the future represents that, which is just a concept because the future never really comes. It's just a concept. Yeah, we just keep moving the, the moment, the right, now, right. along the line. And, and the past is all those things that have happened to us that we can learn and develop and grow. But it's like Einstein said, said the distinction between past, present, and future is only an illusion, although a very convincing one. Yeah. You know, the only thing oh, we, so th- th- we really have is, is what's called the holy present, mm-hmm. that now is, now is where we've got to be grounded. And so we do a lot of work on that. One, one client just uh, in the last couple of weeks came in and said, man, I, I've experienced this thing with awareness that it's totally helped me. And this is what he does to get grounded. He says, um, if I'm walking down the stairs in the morning, I say to myself, I'm walking down the stairs right now. I'm walking into the kitchen right now. I'm opening the kitchen door. Or if I'm driving on the road, I am driving on the road right now. I am passing exit 284 on on my right. On the left-hand side is Thanksgiving Point. You know, oh, there's a car going. So so it's like it gets you grounded instead of. You know, just kind of daydreaming and can be fantasizing about things like that. And, and, and so anyway, so the awareness piece is very, very critical. And so it's huge. And so then we um, – the fourth key is called mindfulness. Yes. And that's where we teach individuals how to watch their thoughts. It's a very, very powerful form of meditation and um, – I can describe it to you just briefly right yeah. here, and your listeners can practice this. You just memorize a simple poem, a scripture, or whatever is meaningful to you. I mean, the poem Invictus is a great yeah, I poem. I love that. And, and what you would do is just give yourself some space, maybe you know, start with five minutes, get yourself where you're not going to be interrupted, and say, okay, in this five-minute period of time, and you don't need to get in the lotus position or anything strange mm-hmm. like that, because most of us could never do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like... And and then you say, for this five minutes, I'm going to do nothing but slowly and deliberately rehearse this verse over and over again and watch what my mind does. Mm. And uh, for and example – you jumping. Oh, look at the thing. Exactly. There's the – oh, I got to go. So eat. if you're – if I, I'm like meditating on the last stanza of Invictus, no matter how straight the gate, how charged with punishments to scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am am the captain of my soul. Now, I could get through that the mm-hmm. first time. Now, when I start getting through it the second and third time, no matter how straight the gate, ooh, I wonder what these people are thinking yeah. of me. Uh, and then you, what you do is you notice that thought mm-hmm. and you come right back and pick up how straight the gate, how charged, what's on TV tonight? Yes. How charged with punishments to scroll. Oh, I'm thirsty. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my. Is soul. that is that the bouncing between the two brains? It's it's the limbic system just as wild keeps by nature. Irritating. Exactly, yeah. just going like everywhere. distract you. Distract exactly, you. and so the prefrontal. This is what you're Pulls using you when back, you yeah. do that, and you're starting. We use the word neuroplasticity, meaning that we now know the brain is a living, breathing organism, meaning that it's changing mm-hmm. all the time. We can rewire 
the, the freeway systems in our brain. And this yeah. is where the hope of recovery comes in. But it has to be done with the appropriate language to do that. And right. you can't, it's not force. Yeah. It's gentleness. It's kindness. It can't be intimidation. Patience. Right. Yeah. So mindfulness. And then we have individuals create what's called a future vision statement hmm. that they create for themselves how ideally they want to be in the future, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then whatever the addiction is, how they see themselves. Free of it. Free of it. Exactly. That's and they And when they make this statement, it's made in the present tense, yeah, not if, in the future tense. now, right? Exactly. That's cool. Because the brain can't tell the difference between past, present, and future. And so if you're saying, someday I'm going to work on that, the brain goes, well, it's not right now. Yeah. So and let's we'll go have a later. drink. Right. We'll do that when you're dying. Exactly. Um, give us the last key. And then we have a caller on the line that has a question okay. about right. overeating. Sure. So the last key is faith. Now, I'm not talking about Sunday school answer faith. I'm talking about faith as an intelligent force in the universe, the intelligent force which can cause all things to happen. And and so when you create your future vision statement and then you are able to pull on that faith – the change can begin to happen if you're doing it, working. And these five keys. So so it's like embracing these five keys – do they become a part of you the way you're thinking on a continual basis? That's powerful. And people are able to find sobriety. So doing faith this. is really like faith in God that He'll pull you through this. Is that what you mean? That, that's that's uh, yes, but also faith in th- yourself. Okay, that you there's can... there's a really interesting statement by J. Reuben Clark. Yeah, he said that I believe faith. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm quoting it perfectly. Yeah. I believe that faith is an intelligent force in the universe within which God himself was able to master so that he could oh, do wow. all the things that he's doing. That's the faith I'm talking about. That's cool. No, that's powerful. And right. So it's it's actually it's the ability to be an actor. Exactly. Yeah. We are agents instead of to just, ourselves. Instead of just being right. acted upon by right. this puny little brain of no, ours. Exactly. That, and, I, and, I, and that reminds me of a statement by George Bernard Shaw that I love. It says, life is not about finding ourselves. It's about creating ourselves. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're already – you've already got this spirit too that's fairly well informed, eh? Right. It's yes. just kind of been – clouded a bit exactly by our body and exactly. this brain exactly hey let's go to our caller um we have ann from southern utah she's calling from southern utah and she has a compulsive overeating issue ann are you there i am how are you ann i'm doing great how are you excellent thanks for being on the show with us uh gordon bruins joining us um and uh so what what's your question for gordon ann well i've been attending a 12-step program for about two years for compulsive overeating and food addiction. And I'd like to know if there's any special advice or um, anything how to deal with managing addiction, where you have to eat to live. Sure. And That's... But how not to get that triggered into the compulsive hey, overeating. Not, not as the pro here, but I, I would suggest you stay away from Doritos. Because those things will kill you. Well, they're so messy. And <laughs> they totally well, and 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 thank you for your question. And you know, compulsive old overeating is really a challenge for many, many people. And and if you've listened to the show, you kind of understand how how easily that can kind of take hold because it's a comfort. There is pleasure yeah. associated with food, and you're right; we can't live without it. Right. That's why. 
pornography addiction is such a big deal because sexuality is a part of, yeah. of being whole in, in a, marriage, in a right. way. But food, and it kind of fits, we have to have food. But the keys that we're talking about can absolutely be applied to that. I mean, I'm in the process of, of, of writing a book, a general book in, with these five keys called The Five Keys to Healthy Living, and it covers emotional eating. And so um, it's just learning to make room for the triggers. And, and, and so you'd have to set for yourself, first of all, create your future vision statement of how you truly want to be. I mean, how with your diet and what you want to eat. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. Okay. So have compassion on yourself as you're working through this. This is a day by day thing for, for everyone. But if you're able to acknowledge a craving for food when you know you don't really need to eat, then the surrender comes in where you just give place for that feeling. See, the reason why these feelings and anxieties become more powerful is you start fighting them. You start judging. You go, oh, that's a, that's a terrible thought yeah. that I should have more M&Ms right now. No, it's not. Just go, yeah, there's a thought saying I should have more M&Ms. So, so that's, look, ex- that's, a, that's acknowledging and surrendering right. to the thought. So you're looking at the thought right. rather than from it. See, yeah. so there's a huge difference there, yeah. and that's where the awareness piece comes into play. Just give room for the thought and be okay with it. You're not a bad person for craving food. And do you uh, – does this is this making sense? It is. Because it, it is. do you beat yourself up? I mean, because all of a sudden you're like, ah, see how bad I am. I can't stop this, and I'm – you know, how can I ever be a good mom and a friend and a – does that get into your mind? Well, I, I try. I try really hard just to learn from my setbacks. That's great. And That's I'm, the beginning I'm, of surrendering, I guess. Right, and and you got to be able to enjoy your food too. Yeah, just kind of you know strive to keep it within certain boundaries. There's nothing, you know. I love M and M's too. I, you know, and and all the stuff that I'm talking about here, I totally try to practice in my own life. Yeah. Okay, you know, whether it's physical health, emotional health, all of that stuff. I love M&M's too. At our home, we've got a big, huge jar of M&M's, peanut M&M's. But I literally have trained myself through the years to be, I can go have four or five M&M's and I'm totally fine. And I enjoy them completely, but I don't need to eat the whole jar. Yeah. Because I... But have you ever had a point where you had to eat the whole jar though? Well, um... Because that's where I feel like my addiction... Right. Is. It's not just, oh, I like to eat so much. It's I have absolutely no control. My mind says, do not eat the M&Ms, but I do anyway. Right. And that's what I would say. Change that thought from do not eat the M&Ms to, oh, my thought is telling me that I need to have these M&Ms. I'm going to make room for this thought and just let that thought be. These mm-hmm. thoughts cannot force me to do anything. Mm-hmm. When you start fighting that thought... You are giving it so much power that it, the limbic system thinks that you're trying to kill it, and it actually has the capacity to flip a switch because you threatened it so much, and boom, there you are just gulping stuff down. Yeah. And so it, it's yeah. practicing the mindfulness and awareness and, 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 again, incorporating these five keys and just striving, but it's, it's very challenging and and I would encourage it, uh, and I don't know, you've been going to the 12-step meetings, but sometimes some, you know, 
Therapy can help also about, you know, what's going on, what are the triggers about, what emotionally is going on within you and helping you find more confidence and stability inside inside of yourself. I is is um again and it's so hard isn't it because you're out there and fighting the dragon um but is this is it making sense I mean as far as like what you're really doing is taming the mind you're, the addiction right. is taming these brains and and not doing what seems natural like seeming natural would be running from a bear that would be a natural thing to do but the minute you run from a bear you've told the bear to chase you Right. Because it's dinner. The only thing that runs from the bear is the dinner. Right. But it's it's so counterintuitive, and that's right. probably what Anne's feeling is like, ah, I just – Well, see, and because in the amygdala, we that's our fight or flight part of our brain, okay? Yeah. And that's all we know how to do since we've been children. But the third option is more powerful than either of fight or flight, and that's – called just let it be let it be make room for the thought acceptance and commitment therapy has some really good stuff that can help you i'd encourage you to google that and get a couple books on that it's it's all about how our minds work thoughts that we have intruding in us and what we do with the thought it's not the thoughts that are cre- or the cravings that are creating the problems it's what we do with them yeah uh-huh. that's so powerful that makes sense but what do you say when I have that thought of I have to eat the M&M's. There is okay, a thought. I there, be, that, but my thoughts are still this, there. Uh, exactly. You make room for it. You say, I'm having a thought that says I absolutely have to have this M&M right now. Don't judge it. It's just a thought. There it is. It's just a thought. It's, it's, it, and one second later, you're going to have the thought, oh, wow, I need right. to comb my hair. Let it be because everything that is alive is in a constant state of movement and change so that mm-hmm. it will leave in time. And yet with the addiction because of the limbic system has got hooked up to I need this in order to survive. But you acknowledge that back to the first key in the language of recovery. Just acknowledge that it's going to be challenging, that it's going to scream and yell. And then don't fight it so much. And I know that's different. That's really that's strange. You know what? We are going to have to take a break here. But, um, and you hang on the phone, Anne, because we want to get your address so we can send you out a book. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yes, you great. scored because you called. Um, and, and really do, Anne, it's, uh, and go to his website, Inner Gold. There's a lot of good stuff on there as well that she can, oh, she can look at. And don't give up. It's, it really um, is a feeling to me that not only do we, we get in the fight or flight brain, but then it seems like we also start creating stories in that brain that seem to match the chemistry, like, well, I have to. Right. I have to do it. And then once you start telling the story that you have to, you almost perpetuate the thought more readily, exactly. don't you? Exactly. So you almost have to be careful what you're saying and then actually believing what you're thinking. Exactly. You can think anything you want. You don't have to believe it, right. let alone support it with more stories, more validation, more evidence. And that's what acceptance and commitment therapy is all about. That's huge. We're going to have to have you back. Uh, seriously, this is... This is huge learning. Gordon Bruin, go to his website, innergold.com. Get the book, The Language of Recovery. Gordon, thanks, my friend. Great that was awesome. Here. We are going to do this again very soon. This is the Matt Townsend Show, taking a break. When we come back, our own Maddie Richards is going to share a personal story. In fact, she has somebody in her family that's an expert, in a way, let's say, about handling addiction. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Great, great insight uh, today as we're talking about addiction. And Maddie Richards in the house. Hello. Sporting her reddish hair. Reddish. It's very red. Well, what do we call that? Though? I mean, Auburn. But Auburn. That's the word I love. Yep. Um, talk about, you have a family member that's mm-hmm. like a pro. Yes. So... Not, not like, I mean, that sounds bad. We're talking about addiction. <laughs> like nobody's more addicted than her family members. <laughs> but she's a pro at what? So my grandma is actually a counselor and um, works with substance abuse pe- with people who are really? addicted. Yeah. So she works in rehabs, has worked as program director. Yes. She's done lots of different things um, to help people through recovery. So she has a very unique perspective. And as my grandma, um, she's taught me a lot of different things. I remember stories about how at Christmas time they couldn't give the patients mouthwash. Oh, yeah. Because they'll drink it. And just different things that I would never have known if not for this. And she's amazing and so strong to work with these people in these hard situations every day and is just so cheerful and hopeful still. So you went to grandma's house over the river through the woods. (laughs) I called her. She lives lives in Missouri. Okay. So she used to live here, lives in Missouri, helping people down there now. So I called her and we had a nice little chat about what it is that she does. Let's learn from grandma. So first, just start off by telling us what it is that you do. I am a credentialed substance abuse counselor, and I've been in program management for 18, maybe 20 years. So working with all of these people, how do you see their lives have been changed by their addiction? What, what do their lives look like after becoming addicted? I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, no one chooses this way of life. No one does. What the studies are showing is that alcoholism and drug addiction are truly brain diseases because the brain changes form and function during the disease process. And that causes a lot of dysfunction, as you can imagine, in relationships, in families, in work life, in adhering to societal norms, in taking care of day-to-day responsibilities. All of those things kind of slide to the background because as the addiction grows, then the, each individual becomes more and more compelled to maintain a certain level of feeling better. And because of the, the addiction process, what worked yesterday may not work today. So it becomes, it becomes like a merry-go-round. It, it's, it's a continual chasing to try to feel better so they can function in their lives. And like I said, the, uh, the scientists are finding more and more that it is a brain disease and it does change brain form and function. When people begin to make a commitment in recovery, initially things don't change right away. But one of the first things we begin to notice as people come into the clinic is they begin to look better. Initially, their skin is kind of ashy colored or very pale. They start getting color back in their skin. Their eyes are a little bit brighter. Occasionally, they even smile when they come into the clinic. They increasingly begin conversations where before they were uh, pretty silent at the dosing windows. They engage a little bit more in social conversation. They become a little bit more aware of their surroundings. And they begin to understand a little bit better about how sick they really were. Many of these people haven't worked for probably four or five years at any kind of a paying job. Uh, Many of them have fractured families. They have dysfunctional social lives. 
and as they work on their recovery, a few months down the road, you start to hear the patients talk about needing to get a job, needing to find steady work, needing to find something that will help them support their families. Gradually, they become reunited with family members. Many times those relationships have been strained, and they begin to come back together with their family, renew family commitments, getting a job, paying their bills. Crime drops, crime rate drops in this population once they begin the recovery process. So their, their lives really do become better. The national statistics say that the areas that are known to improve the greatest are reduction in crime, reduction in transmission of sexually transmitted diseases, increasing pro-social behavior, such as getting a job, paying their bills, taking care of their family, and, and just generally being far more responsible. How are these people emotionally doing when they first walk in the door? Generally, when people first come to the clinic, Madeline, they're 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 emotionally blunted. An old, old study a long, long time ago talked about at the age an individual first begins using alcohol or other drugs, their emotional growth stops at that point. So a lot of our patients began using substances when they were like 12, 13, and 14. So now they're 31, 32, 33, and they come into recovery with the emotional maturity of a 13 or 14-year-old person. And there's some catching up that has to happen. And recovery helps people do that. Recovery helps people through that process. It helps them become more emotionally mature, accepting some realities. You know, many, many people come into adulthood accepting there are things that they can't change and there are things they can change. And they get busy and they look at what they can do about those things they can change. Addicts and alcoholics don't come into their adulthood that way because they're emotionally immature and they have a lot of growing up to do. So why is it such a big deal for people to learn and understand? Why should people care if they don't know an addict, if, they don't, if they're not an addict? Why should they care? Well, I think it really has to do with human compassion. You know, alcoholics and addicts are judged pretty harshly in most quarters of society. Many people look at alcoholism and drug addiction as something that a person chooses. And as I said earlier, I promise you no one chooses this way of life. It's a terrible way of living. Uh, It would be the same as judging or discounting or stigmatizing someone who has heart disease or diabetes. You think about someone going into the emergency room at a hospital for the third or fourth time with a heart attack and the emergency room people saying something like, well, we told you what to do with your diet and how you were supposed to be exercising and you didn't do it. So there's really not very much we can do to help you. That never happens, but it happens all the time to alcoholics and addicts. They are turned away. They are discriminated against and they're treated badly by most people. The disease itself is not their fault that they're alcoholic and drug addicted is not their fault. Are they responsible? Yeah, they need to learn some responsibility so they can take care of their own recovery and, and, and live a happier, fuller life. But many times they, 
develop an attitude of why should I even try because nobody believes me, nobody supports me, my family doesn't talk to me anymore. And they just kind of are less committed to the effort because it does take a lot of effort to get into recovery. There are alcoholics and addicts in every zip code in this country. It's probably ranking as one of the number one social problems of our time. And we all pay for it one way or the other, mm-hmm. whether it's through incarceration in prisons or whether it's through mental institutions or whether it's through the medical system or the welfare system with children that don't have responsible parents. We all pay for it one way or the other. We all pay for it. And it's just, uh, it, it's just the way that we have, have been socialized to view the problem of alcoholism and drug addiction. So can you share maybe some of the experiences that you've had, that you've seen what happens to an addict when they come in, how you help them change, um, just different experiences that you've had? There's one gentleman that that came to our clinic that I have known for a number of years. I've, I've been in this field a long time, and I worked with him in a previous program. Uh, he struggled. He struggled a great deal with with alcoholism and drug addiction and was in detox several times. He came to our clinic and he was trying to get his life together. He was, I think, probably 40 when he finally came to our clinic three years ago. He hadn't had a steady job in a number of years. He had lost the right to visit his daughter. He had one child and and his ex-wife had had him banned from seeing her or participating in her life. He was barely able to scrape together any kind of a living where he could feel good about himself or feel like he fit somewhere in this world. And when he came in, he was, on, he was still on probation for child support, non-payment of child support. He didn't have a job. He uh, was physically very ill. There was a possibility that he might have had diabetes. And he came into the clinic, and he started meeting with his counselor, taking his medication daily, following the directions that are provided to each patient by our medical director. And this gentleman today has his 9-year-old daughter in his life. She comes and spends every weekend with him. They do outings. For the first time in his life, he has a job. I remember last year at Christmas time he came in, and he had a stack of cash that he had saved because he was going out Christmas shopping for his daughter. And he said he had never, ever been able to do that in her nine years. He'd never been able to go out and pay for Christmas gifts for her. And he was so excited about it. He felt so good about being able to do just some of those simple things that a lot of us take for granted. Mm-hmm. And it really did. It really has changed his life. How are you able to have hope? I feel like seeing people who have such hard things that they're going through would bring me down. How are you able to still feel hopeful? Because people can and do recover. That's one of the biggest elements to this whole thing is that people can and do recover. I knew a man who had been in treatment 15 different times. And the last time I talked to him, he hadn't been in treatment in over 10 years. So you you just keep going back to the hospital. You keep going back to the doctor. You keep going back to treatment, just like any other chronic progressive disease. And the one thing about alcoholism and drug addiction, and it's the same with cancer, it's the same with 
heart disease, you either die with it or you die because of it. It doesn't go away. It's not cured. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Heather Johnson. Heather! Heather! How are you, Heather? I'm great. Heather Johnson's here. She's the queen. She's the queen of parenting. Uh, She, uh, by the way, has a master's, an MS degree. MS degree. In? Family studies. Families doing things together, all of the above. She's a contributor on KSL Studio 5, which is where we hang out which is kind of a local lifestyle show. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I'll give uh, dressing techniques, uh, ways you know to look lighter. Um, <laughs> and, but I don't know if you heard the show today, but did you hear that Juan, he actually re- he said a muffin top. A muffin top. To me. To you? Oh, that you have a muffin top? Or he was well, just you explaining brought up the term? Burritos. I don't remember. I just remember he said muffin top and looked at me <laughs> and actually looked down at my muffin top area. And then you said, hashtag double muffin top. So you brought it on yourself. Well, I was talking about you. (laughs) Oh, well, okay. We'll need to talk afterwards. Okay. So let's not get Heather involved in this. Hey, um, Heather, you're here. You're an expert. I mean, I don't want to scare you, but you're you're a contributor. You're an expert. You're the real deal. You're a mother. A mother. Five children. Mm -hmm. Married 13 years. Yep. You've published your own book, Family Fun Fridays. Activities for families. Because I, I actually need an idea for tomorrow. Okay, let's talk. Okay, after off air, we'll save that because we've already done a show with you on Family Fun Friday. Well, Family Fun Friday is your book, but we'll get you what you need. Okay, because I mean I, I get Family Fun Thursdays; those are easy. But it's Family Fun Friday that's killing me. By the way, where do they get their your book? They can just go to my website, which is familyvolley.com. See, top right hand corner, Family Volley, huh? like as if you're throwing um, a mortar. A grenade. <laughs> or juggling, a lot of things. Volleying okay. it back and forth. Oh, like a volleyball. Or tennis. I played tennis yeah. in high school, so it kind of came from that. I think it sounds better if it's not a grenade. Yeah. Families, grenades, it's kind of a tough mix. <laughs> they don't go together. Yeah. By the way, talk about a fun family Friday. A grenade. Instead of water balloons. Yes. Yeah. Like a water grenade. Sure. Hey, um, help us with this because we're talking about addiction on the show and we wanted to bring in the pros that can sit there and tell us how do we make sure our kids don't fall into addiction because that's a big problem. And then um, we'll take a break and then I want to come back and I want to have you teach us what do we do if we've already got some addictive behavior going on. Okay. Okay. So let's start with some of those things that we can do as parents. First, we've naturally got the need to to be good parents, good yeah. parenting techniques. Right. Here's some we don't often think about, though. The first is compassion. Oh, yeah. It's tough. It's so hard. We really want to be parents who parent with compassion. And this is why. Compassion is a fundamental skill for strength and resilience. Now, why? Because people think – I can hear them saying, ah, fooey. That's a sissy thing. Sure. Why, though? Why is compassion so essential in the parenting role? Because we're teaching our children 
it's, it's almost like putting on glasses. We need to put on our compassion glasses and see our children as children, as people. From their perspective. They're learning right. and they're growing. And unfortunately, they don't have the life experiences to draw on. They're doing the best that they can. Right. The problem is when we don't show compassion to them and parent that way, we're actually teaching them that every choice they make is wrong mm. right off the bat. Right. So whether they make a good choice or a bad, everything's wrong because we're not showing compassion for their choices. Well, and look what we do. We just talked about how you can't look at your addiction as right, wrong. Right. The minute you get in that mentality, you can't get out of your addiction. Right. You've got a problem. So we want to make sure that as parents, we parent with compassion and we want to show it to them and they'll also learn it from us hmm. so that when they're older, yeah. they run into addictive behaviors or problems. They, they have compassion built into them. That's great. That resilience. So compassion is our first one, a really powerful one. After that, another one we don't always think of is challenge. As parents, yeah. it's our job to challenge our children. Now, we're not suggesting that you, you know, send them to a tough part of town and hope they survive the night. That's not what we're getting at here. But our kids are not going to wake up and say, hey, mom, I want to do something really hard today. You know, they're not going to ask for that. But we want to empower them. We want to put challenges in front of them that allow them to succeed, possibly fail a little on their way to success. Well, so they can at least gauge their boundary, like their limits, like. They, you got to push them so they know their limits. Absolutely. And develop the skills they need to succeed. The great thing about challenging them is that once they find out how to succeed in different areas, when they're faced with something like an addiction or even the temptation to make negative or poor choices, they can fall back on the tough things they've done in Huge. the past. That's right. And rely on what they've developed, their internal capacities, to help them push through making yeah. right decisions in the future. This seems like it makes them more resilient. Like, Absolutely. Okay, you're, gonna, you're going to have to take on a challenge. Let me show you how to take on the challenge. You're going to blow it. You'll have the crud beat out of you. Learn. <laughs> sure. Figure it out. We'll get your stitches. Right. We'll get your we'll legs set. <laughs> it was a tough challenge. Who? <laughs> everybody needs some stitches, right? Who doesn't need Well, and these challenges, you know, I think of our son when he was small. We went on a hike one day, and the hike turned out to be a lot harder than we'd anticipated. Yeah. And he, he wanted to quit. He cried the last mile and a half. Right. This is too hard. And long story short, he actually used accomplishing that challenge. It helped him learn to tie his shoe and learn to ride a bike without training wheels. Really? As we were doing it. That was a long hike. I, it was a long hike. And he looked at us, you know, a year later while he was tying his shoe one day with the frustration and the bunny ears and the tree and it wasn't yeah. working. And as he said he couldn't do it, he then regrouped and he said, do you remember that hike? It was so – if I can finish that hike. That's so cool. Give me that shoe. I can yeah. – you know, I can learn to tie my shoe. Now, challenges that one hike is not going to carry him through college right? and marriage and life. <laughs> remember right? that one time I did that one remember, thing in that really weird moment? Yeah, when I was three. That's yeah. not going to – so we've got to continually provide them with opportunities to test and grow and strengthen Don't themselves. you think a lot of people are just – the kids especially, I think, they're so afraid to try stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, they don't want to fail – but this is teaching them failing's fine. Sure. Well, and this Just is back to the compassion. Whether they succeed or fail, it's our job to again see them yeah. as children who are developing and learning huge. and be there for them as mm-hmm. they do that. That's great. So challenge is a powerful one. That's great. Okay, next is commitment. Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, they're all C's. They all start. It makes it easier. That's the only way I can remember it does. things. It does. That's great. <laughs> start them all with the That's same right. letter and it'll help you remember. So commitment. This is an interesting one. We tend as parents to wait till our children do the right thing or uh-huh. act the right way and then we commit to them. As soon as you stop throwing that fit, then I'm going to go ahead and yeah, I will you know, love pay you attention. Then. <laughs> it's exactly right. We don't want to do that. In fact, we want to commit to them first. 
wholeheartedly. Yeah. And we will see that as we make that commitment, they then in turn will commit right back to our families. Mm-hmm. So as we're parenting, we want to make that commitment first. It's unwavering, which again is back to our compassion. It's it's without a doubt, regardless of your choices. So you're mine. You're my kid. No matter what, I'll love you endlessly. I really will. And it's forever. Right. Regardless. Regardless, regardless. of how you perform on this test today. It's exactly right. But don't blow it or I'll right. get you <laughs> and your kids. Or you can't drive the car all That's weekend. Right. Uh, and the commitment, too, is where we can decide how they feel our commitments. You know, yeah. one of our children, she feels committed when we listen. Uh-huh. You know, we have another daughter. It's all about action. Yeah. It's when we're out playing with her. So we need to figure out what it is for each child and then make that commitment. That's beautiful. Make that commitment. Okay, we're talking with Heather Johnson. You got to go check out her her uh, blog, familyvolley.com, or you can go to blog.familyvolley at gmail.com. That's her email. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could you get a longer one? No. <laughs> Last I could time, try. I'll help you. I'll help you come up I with need, a new one. I'll change it. Hashtag short and sweet. Yeah, hashtag short and sweet. That's exactly. Okay, we're talking with Heather Johnson. We're going to take a break. When we come back, she is going to teach us. I think she's got a few more C's for us about uh, how to deal with our children. You know, to make sure they don't slide into an addiction, but also how to handle those beautiful kids that we've committed to when they have slid in and uh, are struggling with an addiction. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back with Heather Johnson right after the break. Welcome back. The lasers are firing, which means Heather Johnson is in the house. Heather Johnson's here. Now, Heather uh, is, a, is a friend of the show. and a, She's my friend. We're friends. You're my friends. Yeah. And um, by the way, sporting a beautiful uh, yellow blouse with, um, she did her fingernails. They match. Uh, you, they match. Again, you miss your fourth finger on both hands. You did them a different color, apparently. That's when the power went out. <laughs> so what happened? Uh, you're the second female in the room that I've said that to, and I've offended both. I, I'm okay. It okay? takes a lot more to offend me than Does that. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're good. You're going to have to stick around because <laughs> we'll see what you, we'll put we you to the test. a lot to test, John. <laughs> Here's the deal. Heather Johnson uh, is the author of the book Fun or Family Fun Fridays. It is a compilation of the very best games, activities uh, for families, and variations for families with children of all ages. By the way, we like to play a lot of the games that from her book on the show. They're Actually, fun. not on the show, in our meetings. Oh, good. We have uh, Thursday meetings, and we call it Fun uh, Almost Family Thursdays. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. Uh, you're trying to teach us, Heather, what are the keys, what are the tools if to make sure our families don't fall into an addiction um, Compassion. We need to be compassionate. We need to challenge our children so they understand that life's there to be challenged and taken on. Mm-hmm. And we have to stay committed and be committed to them. Love them and love them their way. Right. What else? Next, we've got choice. We've got to give our children choices. Oh, boy. I know. Because it's hard. It means they get to, you know, make mistakes or make things harder for us a little bit. But but think about our own lives. If someone tells us what to do all the time, mm. every day. I mean, yeah. I think of our kids, our five-year-old. I pretty much... Tell her when she'll eat, when she won't, when she'll go to sleep, go to the bathroom, when she can swim or play or everything. So we've got to empower them with choice. Mm -hmm. Now, choice naturally means there's consequences. We don't leave the consequences out. We make sure that, you know, if there's a consequence, it's enforced. And we're going to pay it. You're going to have to pay for it. But 
right choices mean great consequences. That's right. And Big so time. They learn That's that where you take too. your life back, right, right? Right. And so by teaching them and having that component of choice in our home, they take charge of their own life. Hey, answer me this, smarty pants. Um, <laughs> do I give them a choice of which restaurant to go to? Because honestly, every time I've done that, the entire car starts into a fight. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone pulls a knife. <laughs> A, really, a knife? You yeah. are you really empower your kids. Well, that's our teenager. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's, it's a butter knife. It's a butter. He carries it with him everywhere he goes. Okay. It come, he maybe he's hungry a lot. Yeah, no, it no, comes. he's violent. <laughs> it's a butter knife. At least you've decided which it is. But because you, you the, but I guess too, you just say sometimes mom and dad will. Well, we'll narrow it down. And we're not saying that that means they make every choice no, in their life. But there are – I mean they can make a lot – especially choices in their life. Sure. Where do you want to go life. for your birthday? Right. Or you know, even – this is a silly one, but it works great with kids who don't want to eat vegetables, for yeah. example. Okay. You don't say, do you want vegetables? No. No. I don't want vegetables. Well, yeah. Instead, it's tonight, would you like peas or carrots? They have two choices. Wow. The funny thing is they're much more likely to eat their choice because they chose it. What, what if they just laugh at you? <laughs> Like right then, and they, and they pull a butter knife. Sure. <laughs> and we're like, what if they do that? Anyway, maybe, we go maybe we need to bring him in with the butter knife, and we'll kind of work through that a little. <laughs> I always give him a choice. Do you want the butter knife, or do you want the spoon? Yeah. And he always chooses the butter knife. So we give them choices. Empower yeah. them. Yep. It, it teaches them, and it teaches them consequences. And the natural flow, that's life. Life is about totally. choosing and where it goes. Well, think of this in, in relation to an addiction. This is the way out of the, the addiction right. is choices Cheating. and thinking and planning and knowing you're committed to. Good. Sure. Keep and, going. Okay, next is clarity. Clarity refers to the need for us to parent and make things clear on the front end. Yes. Kids get really confused when all of a sudden they're in their room in a timeout or on their bed and they don't know what they did wrong. It's random, right? It's right. like they're sitting there staring at the wall thinking, how in the – I don't even know why, yeah. I, why what I'm exactly here. What exactly did yeah. I do? What, what you know wrong? what you did. That's exactly you right. You rabbit. <laughs> Which makes it even worse because they're sitting on the bed going, actually, I don't no, know what – really So don't. now I'm dumb yeah. and confused. Yeah, and, and, and I have their phone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to make things really clear. We want to make it clear what's expected. We want to give them clear feedback. And the feedback should come about the effort and energy and skill that mm. they need in what they're engaged in. Yeah. The clearer we can make things, the better off they're able to to soar in yeah. whatever they try to do. So we want to be clear. We're not clear. So if parents aren't clear, your kids aren't clear. Right. It's hard to do that yeah. for them. And so it's, again, you know, it's looking back at ourselves and deciding, Boy. are we patterning these things? Lots of times when when we kind of look at ourselves, we can see how we can – Send our kids in directions we then complain about. Yeah, and, and then we can't in disbelief. Like, can you believe that? Right. They're <laughs> so unclear. <laughs> when really we kind of send right. them there, so oh, we've got yeah. to look at ourselves. Yeah. And then our last one is centering. Centering refers to being right there, right now. Hmm. It's very easy for parents, for all of us, to be thinking so far ahead. You know, yeah. I look at our son right now. He's starting seventh grade. Scary as can be for my husband and I that he's headed that direction. Yeah. And seventh I, grade? Seventh grade. Wow. I know. And so I look at where he's headed and I'm constantly thinking about the future. He's got college and he's got, you know, a family hopefully to support. He's got eighth grade, it's, ninth it's, grade, <laughs> tenth grade. Point perfectly made. <laughs> that's right. right? That's the, so yeah. in, in the instant, that's my job to think about, but not to inundate him oh, with. Yeah. Otherwise, I've said, I don't care about seventh grade. Right. I'm much more concerned about all these other things. Yeah. And I've lost him. Yeah. So we want to stay very centered. This is not multitasking, mm. which is very hard for moms. This is being at the crossroads when they have time to talk, mm -hmm. being available, and looking right into their little eyes or their big eyes, mm -hmm. whoever, what age, 
and being right there with them, that's centered huge. in the moment. Well, and that's what we heard from our expert earlier, Absolutely. that you've got to be mindful. Mm-hmm. You've got to be present and just let stuff float. And be there so it can. If yeah. we're not there, then it can't happen. That's cool. So there's our C's. Those there's six great. of them. It'll... So, so that that should set us up really then, you know, to at least be connected to our kids. Right. And then, I mean, it doesn't mean some kids have addiction simply because their brain has bad chemistry right. and they've been trying to replace it with something. Right. Absolutely. So once, once we actually find out we have a child mm-hmm. in turmoil, sliding away a little bit, what, what are some of your suggestions? So families, the first thing we want to do is do anything in our power to keep our family life stable and secure. Keep those two words in your yeah. head, stability and security. When things are predictable – They keep things secure and stable for our children. And this addiction, it could be our kids. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent or an aunt. It could be anyone close to us and the effect it has. So the first thing is we want to make sure that we educate ourselves. We want our families to understand what the addiction is and what will happen as a result of the addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a great saying we love to use in our house. We say all the time, take the shock value out of it. And my husband actually kind of came up with it one day. There are some addictions we've dealt with with extended families. And every time something would happen, I would be so taken back. It was, they what? How how did this happen? And so one day he said, you know, Heather, take the shock value out of it. that's a great line. And I think of it constantly now, and as I work with my students and with other families, when we take the shock value out because we're educated about what's going to happen, it doesn't catch us so off guard. It doesn't rock our world yeah. because we know what's going to happen. Well, and it's so amazing to me. We have family that, you know, you just, you know, you're sitting sure. there one day and the next day, hey, where's our, you know, where's our Ottoman? <laughs> We're, we're missing an ottoman. Right. Where did the ottoman go? And it just so happens that one of our family members took it and sold it for drugs. Sure. You know, it happens. You're missing an ottoman. But then the idea that they've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then the next time they come back and, I don't know, they take an end table and somebody's like – and they can't – and no one can believe it. Right. And everyone's shocked. Like, what? Are you – can you – can, you won't What's believe happened? what she did. And then we all spend all this energy talking about, no way. Did the crazy addict that always steals things, did she steal something this time? You've got to be kidding We've me. We've known that forever. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So take that shock value out of it. Yeah. And in fact, that applies to so many things in our life, but especially when we're trying to keep the stability and security in our that's, own families. That's beautiful. Get get rid of that shock. Well, and maybe you have to also say to keep stability, say no. We've had a, a politician here in Utah that was going to run for governor and was ready to run for governor. And at least the, the what he said, the reason he wasn't running is because his daughter was struggling and he needed to be a dad. Right. So can you imagine the chaos being a governor would create? And he was a pretty good shoe in and the what that would create on a child. So the power to sometimes just let's not let's Absolutely. simplify our life for our family right. right now. And it also safeguards us again from, you know, losing the other end table next time. That's right. right? Yeah. I because, mean, at some point. Because we're pre- well, that's yeah. the thing. We're prepared. We've educated ourselves. That's right. We've taken that shock value out of it. And so now we start to safeguard ourselves sure. and protect ourselves, which is a, a very important thing to yeah. do when that's we're dealing great. with that. So that's an important one. The next one is don't enable. Uh, no, explain that because they're, that's like therapists. They're always using the word I enable know. and then codependent. Right. We don't want to do things. For example, if you know that, you know, the crazy aunt is going to steal every time she comes over, yeah. you, you might want to <gasps> rethink inviting her Hank, if it's causing handcuff trouble. Handcuff her. There you go. <laughs> no, you You know what you do? You send the little kid with the butter knife. Right. Hey, and he's going to take care hey, of her. Hey, Tommy, go follow, <laughs> go follow Aunt Sally around. Now, here's the interesting thing that goes right along with not enabling. 
there's a great uh, concept called personification. Personification, to make it really simple, is this idea that everything someone else does is a reflection back on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, parents, oh, we do this Absolutely. All the time. And as a result, we become very controlling of that person. Yeah. So we appear a certain way. Oh, yeah. So an example, like you said, of this would be a parent who refuses to accept that a child has an addiction because we're so worried about how that makes us look as oh, a parent. Sure. Yeah. We're a bad parent now, right? Yeah. We've got to not personify it. We've got to let that go because when we're so tied to their choices, mm-hmm. we then control in that control, we enable them so that we still look a certain way. That's right. We see that in our own church where – because we always send these missionaries out. Right. 80,000 missionaries out in the world today. And, you know, the goal is that every eligible, able, worthy young man and woman – eventually mm-hmm. it's turning into uh, – would go out and serve and be a missionary. Well, some struggle and some can't and some emotionally are having issues and – we then personify, like, no, you're going. Right. And I don't care and you're if not you take coming, your butter knife. Right. And you're, you're not going. coming home because then I look bad. That's right. right? Yeah, then you can't bad. come home. Right. Yeah. And so we want to detach ourselves. It's loving, again, the actor, but not the actions. Yeah. But it really is, you know, it's like Frozen. We got to just let it go. Let it go. Just, let it go. I'd sing it for you if I you could. Know what? But I'm going to say that. There it is. Ask and you shall receive. There we go. So you want to you want to really just let that go and not personify. Don't tie ourselves. They're That's making great. choices. Those are choices they have to own, and we want to not you're, enable. You shouldn't get ego play out of right. your children. Right. If you're getting your ego play out of your children, you need a hobby. We got. <laughs> <laughs> you need to besides parenting. Spread it out. Yeah. Pick up tennis. Yeah, you need take more. Something else. Okay. This next one could quite possibly be one of my favorites. Good. It's all about protecting our rituals. Oh, I'm a, I, I'm totally ritualistic. It's if if we can create an environment. Here's what happens when our rituals start to falter. Yeah, things become unpredictable. Explain a ritual, because some people think that that's like, oh, you guys are weird. That's one of those sure, them no, no. Cult things. <laughs> okay, so a ritual is a patterned patterned interaction yep. that we repeat that has meaning or significance. It could be a kiss goodnight. It absolutely could. It could be for my husband and I. In fact, it, a ritual is the way we say goodbye to each other yeah. when he leaves the house. Every which day. I've seen. Which is a, it's like a four minute handshake. Anyway, it's it's fancy. It it's really is way fancy. fancy. It's fancy. <laughs> it could be family dinner. Yeah. It could be how you celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. All of these things are rituals. Now, what happens when there's that meaning is that when we are dealing with an addiction, whether it's immediate family or extended, especially with holidays and yeah. things like that, that addiction tends to negate or take over that family ritual. Right. In particular with all of us, but especially our children, regardless of their age, those rituals are what make their life stable. Yeah. They know what to expect and how it's going to go. The last thing we want to do when we're dealing with an addiction in our families is to let go of those rituals. Don't we let, have to protect we them. We don't let that go. It's exactly right. Cue the Don't music. let it go. <laughs> We've That's, got to hang on to it. We don't have a song for that. Now, there's really cool research that sh- that supports the fact that by protecting our rituals, and they looked at actually alcoholics mm-hmm. in families, that it does two key things. One, it lessens the likelihood of transmitting the disease to the next generation. Oh, interesting. That's huge, right? Because you're not you're not letting the addict intervene exactly in the right. anchor of a of a ritual. They they're not in control. You're saying. Our ritual or our family means more than the addiction or the addict or any of the consequences. Mm-hmm. And so we take control of our lives. And when you're back, you can come, always come back to the ritual. Absolutely. Do you want to come right now to do the ritual or do you want to go? 
Right. Do your drugs. Or does it need to be next year or right. next? Well, we're here when you're right. done. Right. The other thing we've seen that our research, you know, tends to tell us is that it helps us better cope yeah. with the effects in the heat of it. And sure. so we've got that stability again. Rituals give us an opportunity to teach, to connect with one mm-hmm. another. They keep things predictable. They also are a great way for us to enact our values and create an identity. If we allow the addict or the addiction to take over, it's now affected our identity. I love that. We don't want that. No, we don't. So you've, you've tied it down with ritual. When you think about rituals, it's it's cult, it's countries, right? It's institutions. Like think of how ritualized just a marriage is. Right. We all know what we're supposed to do when the bride comes in. Mm-hmm. We know we're supposed to choose sides before they get married. <laughs> so when after they're married and they divorce, we can just pick our side. Right. But I mean, it's funny we do it, and it but it creates predictability. It creates longevity. Right? right. It does, and it it really sends this very strong message to our families that we are not going to let this define oh, us. I love that, and that gives us so much power. Mm-hmm. That is really what is. You know, think of small children, whether it's, you know, an aunt or an uncle who's dealing with this or an older sibling. We're not saying that this is going to affect your childhood or your life. We're going to take control. We've done a family prayer and every we do a family. We've done one. We did. We did a family (laughs) prayer years ago. Once. On the 12th of never. (laughs) And um, but we we did it. We do a family prayer every night and then we have our own little ritual way of doing it. That's really fun. But then sometimes kids just don't get how important that Mm -hmm. is. And they kind of they just energize their own independence and they think they're the bomb and they pull a knife on you. And But sometimes they'll just choose not to do it and right. they'll be on the outskirts, but we're still going to do it. And I like to pray for that kid when we're doing it without him. Sure. And it's something like, bless the infidel. Yeah. No, it's but but you bring him in you and you bring him in with a good prayer. Mm-hmm. Like we still love him and that he will know that We'll be here tomorrow. Right. Butter knife or not. Butter knife or right. not. We're, st- we're still And usually around. when he puts his head down to pray, that's when we take the knife away. <laughs> just slip it right out. <laughs> and you can see this one is just so very it's important. It's rich. No, it's, it is. It's, it's important. So we want to make sure that we protect those rituals. Do not let them falter when we're dealing Don't with addiction. Don't let those go. Yep. Don't let Give those us, go. Give uh, us – do you have one more thing yeah, to wrap well, up? You know what? The lines of communication – it's it, we hear it almost sounds generic, you know, communicate, communicate in families and right. marriages. But it's really true, especially when our children are struggling to understand what is happening. Yeah, they should know that they can say whatever, whenever, and it's always accepted. We're back to compassion. Yeah. We're right back there. See, you yeah. brought it full circle. There we go. Hey, will you come back and see us? Absolutely. How about soon? Okay, you tell me when. I'll be here. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> same time, same place. Don't come tomorrow. <laughs> Don't come tomorrow. Heather, you're the bomb. Um, again, everybody, go check out her website, familyvolley.com. Get her book, Family Fun Fridays. Again, Friday's tomorrow. Friday's tomorrow. I've 90 activities you can do tomorrow. I know. Well, yeah. Just like that. We we blew through your whole book in an <laughs> afternoon. So <Yeah. laughs> it's tons of fun. It really is. And um and listen, listen to Heather. And again, rituals. And love them no matter what. Love compassion, no matter what. compassion. We're taking a break. When we come back, Sean's going to enlighten us about his strange addiction. Is that right, Sean? That sounds weird. We're doing it. We're going we're to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're talking addictions right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Today we have been talking about, you know, 
addiction and how to uh, not let it, you know, how to not let it own you. We've had an expert on, taught us uh, the ins and outs, skills. We even talked to Maddie Richards' grandma, who is an addiction expert as well. Now, um, Sean wanted to come on, and Sean has the strangest addiction you have ever heard of. And he wanted to share that first, and then he wanted to go give a list of strange addictions. I'd like to know what strange addiction you're talking about. There it is right there. He avoids My strange addiction the is, truth. Is, that is his strange addiction. I'm addicted to movies. You are addicted to movies. I am. And my kids. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Addicted to kids. That's. <laughs> okay. My kids. Your kid. No, but see, but that's. Yeah. But no, I've never thought of that. But as a parent, I feel really addicted to my kids. Yeah. And my wife. I, I, did you ever see. You, you saw my the parents. movie uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Yes. Okay. He was addicted. He talks, he talks about my kids are like oxygen. I yes. need them. You need them. Yeah. Well, see, that's good. That's the way I feel about my okay. kids. I think, honestly, that was beautiful. We're going to air that for the Father's Day show. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> make sure you capture that line, I'm addicted to my kids. Check. Mm-hmm. It's captured. Okay, give us some strange there, addictions. There, okay, there's a TV show, called, actually a reality TV show called My Strange Addiction. No, I know. So I went out there and looked at some of the strange ones they had. This is good family fun. And there's a, some of them that I don't even want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. They're so yeah. out there. No, they are. <laughs> but no, they are. Some of the other ones that I saw on there, uh, eating dirt laundry detergent. Mm. How can you be addicted to that? I can't eat I mine. I have to ugh. drink mine. Ugh. Yeah, I have to dilute it a little bit. I can't take it straight. <laughs> and then there's one person who was eating glass. Yeah. I've actually, when right? I was in the EMT, I picked up a guy that really? used to blend up glass and eat it. Oh. It was great. Ow. Yeah. How about eating couch couch cushions? You know, the foam inside the couch cushions? cushions? Yes. Man, my cushions are filthy. I know. (laughs) I'm not touching those. Really? Eating a cushion? Yeah. And then there's the guy who's in love with his car. I mean... That's not an addiction. Oh, no, 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 no. He buys gifts for his car. Uh, Yeah. He goes out on dates with his car. Every date I go on, I'm in my car. He... uh, mm. I wash it? No, no, no. He's, he doesn't have anybody else in the car with him. Oh, oh, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird. Uh-huh. How about drinking paint? Yuck. I'd go back to the detergent uh, first. Yeah, I think. I the detergent. <laughs> he could mix. I mean, if we're choosing drinks, I would go with detergent. <laughs> no, don't mix. Don't mix. Um, bathing in bleach? Ugh. I know. Mm. Didn't Michael Jackson do that? Eating rocks? Seriously, that's right up there eating with the glass. and gnawing on rocks. Ugh. Hold on, this is like what about the dentist? I don't know. What are you? He's te- making bank. I'm yeah, no that. kidding. Yeah. What do you? What are you allergic to? Um, boy, granite. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> There's one lady who Limestone. was uh, addicted to eating toilet paper. Yeah, I saw that one. No, see mm-hmm. that. Uh, uh, but you know it's true. Have you ever just been in the mm-hmm. bathroom and you're hungry and you're thinking, "Man, no, I'm starving." No, I, I saw never one, thought that. I saw one. This lady was addicted to eating chalk. Yeah, that was. Oh. Isn't that that's pig's mm. disease or something? Isn't it? Where something they eat like the I paint chips and mm. pencils and, and drinking and... nail polish. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. How does that go down? I don't know. Oh, I don't know, and I don't want to know either. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. A lot of these are like consuming, like eating or drinking. And I okay. wonder if that's a common theme in the show. Or I think it is. And then there's the lady who is addicted to buying shoes. Well, 
Does, is that, is that my, like every girl? Is that my wife? Oh. <laughs> no. No. Aaron. No, okay, that sorry. was Aaron. I, I shouldn't have yeah, said that. This is something you should, I'm you in should trouble note, now. You should note this since you're getting married, Aaron. Right. But this lady has spent $45,000 on shoes. Well, that's not that much. You know what? That's actually Maddie's uh, annual budget. Oh. <laughs> okay. Maddie's annual but she budget also, on shoes. But she also says that not wearing them hurts their feelings. Yeah, she's messed uh-huh. up. Well, that's the yeah. bigger issue here. She needs, you know, lovingly help. She needs help. She, we need to buy her some shoes. Well, those don't seem strange at all. No, not at all. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Remember when I said you were the rudest to me? Yeah. That would be why. Right there. <laughs> so okay. just well, we have that know. on record now. Good to know. <laughs> uh, thanks for bringing that up. Hey, here's a quote for you. He that conceals his grief finds no remedy for it. That's a Turkish proverbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also just as popular as he who drinks nail polish dieth quickly. Mm-hmm. That's not so popular. Hey, that's the show, folks. Don't conceal your grief, right? The problem with addictions, we start to hide them. Once we hide them, we feel the shame. We get stuck, and then there's no remedy for it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening again. Tomorrow, more lessons, more thoughts, more help right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for listening in.